Proverbs 21, 2 says, every man, every way, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. That's our text today. Every way of a man. The Bible says a number of places. Uh, Proverbs 30, verse 12 says, that there is a generation that are pure in their own eyes. In Isaiah 5, 21, it says, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. The Bible says over again in Proverbs, every man's right in his own eyes, twice. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned every one to his own way. I'm going to try to explain a mystery today. It took me a number of years before God was able to give this message to me to put this together in such a way as I will, by the grace of God, present this morning to you. I'm going to present to you this morning somewhat of a secret why things happen the way they do. Why do things change? As you know, most change is not for the best. Why is it that change is almost always, not always, not always, but almost always, to the left, left, and that's not good, you know. I was more, once in a while change happens to the right, not often. I, I am more conservative than my mom and dad were. And their mom and dad weren't saved. So I'm a second-generation Christian. It's not normal for a second-generation Christian to be more conservative than their parents or the ones who raised them in Christ. Most of the time, they go left. The movement is left. You see it, and you'll see it by the end of this thing. You clearly see it. Every generation must define itself. Every person seeks to individualize himself. You may not even know this process goes on. It's part of our pride. Uh, we put it this way. We're going to make our mark. We're going to paint our own picture. That'd be for Brother Walling. We're going to paint our own picture. Uh, we're gonna, we say, we, we're going to give our unique contribution to life. Or we may say, we're going to put our stamp on it. And not all of that's bad. And because every human being has a unique fingerprint, unique retina, there's some things about us that are absolutely unique, like they say no two snowflakes are the same. And uh, I believe it to be so, though I haven't looked at all of them. We have unique personalities, unique backgrounds, unique combination of circumstances and events that make up the influences around us. So why would we be surprised if every generation would seek to define themselves as an individual or internalize what they've been taught differently than what they have been taught? So I'm going to start out with a definition. What is defining oneself? Because I made a statement every generation wants to define itself. What is defining oneself? In its simplest form. It is personalizing what we've inherited from the past generations and making it our own. All of us heard the gospel from somebody else. Now, how many here were raised in a born-again, Bible-believing home? Raise your hand. Okay, wow. There came a day when you had to internalize that and make it your own. Every generation must take what they have inherited, consider their belief system and what they've inherited, the belief system they've inherited, and make it their belief system. 
Herein lies the problem with multiple generation godliness. Our new birth experience cannot be taught academically and reproduce itself dynamically. A parent's spiritual experience cannot be transferred to the children via any normal means of teaching. I'll be sure, be sure the facts of that experience can be transferred. The structure of the belief system can be transferred. The traditions of the belief system can be transferred. But the heart and the soul of it must be defined and individualized and personalized, internalized by every generation. I raised, I had one child. I don't, he's here today in the back there, Troy. And I was, you know, from having children, you people have had children. I held him up when he was a little child like this you know, 21 inches long, 7 pounds, 14 ounces. And I held him up before God, and I said, God, this is your child. I give my child to you, just like Hannah gave her child, Samuel. I said, I give him to the Lord. And help me to show him what you've done in my heart, and somehow, by your grace, save him. I'm sure as parents here, you did the same with your child. You hope that God touches your child. Use them, but a child's not a robot. You don't feed in a program and they obey. That ain't the way it is. We're individuals, brother, with our own, our own structure and will. And if God, one thing, if he protects, he protects our free will. Contrary to Calvinists on that, they don't believe you have really a free will. Calvinism oftentimes is called fatalism because of the lack of free will. We do have a free will. If the Bible says what it means, it means what it says. We do have a free will. But it's interesting, from generation to generation, things mutate. Our brother Grady said that almost all mutations, in fact, I think he may have said all mutations are negative. They're not better. It may be equal to, but never better than. I'm going somewhere with this. So there's a problem with defining generation to generation. A serious flaw often destroys the process of Reproduction of fundamental, born-again, Bible-believing, one generation to the other group. Will my son be as fundamental, Bible-believing, dedicated to Christ as his dad? And will his children be as all out for God, believe the old King James Bible is the word of God, and the old hymns are the spiritual songs of God, Will they hold to the same things his dad and mom have held to, his granny's granddad and mom have held to? Well, I can tell you, if I was a betting man, I'd say no. I'd say no. For most of the time, people don't define to the right. They define to the left. Pride causes this. Overdefining, if I may say. The second generation or third often find themselves given, they're given traditions and they're given doctrines and they're given property, they're given history, they're given prestige, they're even given positions, but they lack the suffering, they lack the struggle, they lack the fears, they lack the doubts, they lack the troubles, they lack, they lack the perseverance it took of the previous generation that gave it to them. They have a shell 
without the substance. This is why empires fall. And this is what's happening in the United States right as I speak. What happened to Harvard? It used to, it's, if you look at Harvard's charter, you'd say that was a Bible-believing school. If you don't believe it, look it up. Fact check me. What happened to Yale? What happened to some of these institutions that early on in America started and were based upon Jesus Christ, not God generically, but the Lord Jesus Christ? What has happened to them that now they're seedbeds of anti-Semitism, which is anti-God as you're going to get? How does this happen? They have a shell, but they don't have the substance. This explains why second or third generation Christians sometimes are lukewarm in comparison to the people they receive the gospel from. They're indifferent. They're willing to compromise. They're willing to change. They're lackluster. They're unenthused. They're either more formal or less formal. They, they, they have less dedication or and oftentimes more worldly. And to be a friend of the world, by the way, James 4.4 4 is an enemy of God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 15 and 17. I mean, it's clear as crystal in the Bible that worldliness is what God saved you from. He saved you out of this world's system, out of this world's attitude, out of this world's belief system. What have they done? They have overdefined themselves and moved off of the truth that they were given by either the first or the second generation. Why'd they do it? Just to be different. Just to not be what the, like the people that gave it to them. It's pride that often causes this, this problem to go generation to generation. They want to personalize it in such a way that they change it and water it down and then oftentimes ruin it, which is what's happening in America. This happens religiously, but it also happens secularly. Why is it that people have lack of respect for the Constitution of the United States? We are so blessed in America to have the Constitution we have. No nation in the world has a Constitution like our Constitution. There has been no nation in the world raised up like America. And yet there's people out there that would trash all that. They'd get rid of the Constitution. They'd get rid of the, the mechanism that, that we've used here to, have, to preserve freedom. Justice. It's because of this. The second generation or third or whatever it happens to be, when they receive the truth, they move away from it, oftentimes to the left. But whatever happens, usually it's not good, just like those mutations that Brother Grady was talking about. Most all of the mutations, in fact, he may have said all of them, i got to go back and check that out, are never good. They're bad. I don't blame the young folks for wanting to put your initials on a work. I'm getting ready to check out, and somebody's going to follow me. 
It could be Chris Barrows. It could be if you want him to be. It'll be up to you folks, not me. But he's going to have to fight a battle like I fought when I took over for Pastor McKinney. I was his assistant for 11 and 11 and a half years, and he got Alzheimer's and started doing some crazy stuff. If you see me do crazy stuff, just tell me about it. <laughs> wherever, wherever Pastor McKinney started out in the Bible, it didn't make any difference where he started out. He ended up in the throne room of God in Ephesians 1. It's a great place to end up. But he couldn't, he, I would go to him and say, preacher, do you understand that no matter where you start out your text, you're like, he said, you know, he said, I don't know what's going on. Eventually it got more critical. He couldn't go further. But when I became senior pastor of this church in 1992, I had a decision to make. I had been given and trusted many things by the group of people. Of course, I helped start a group with them and, and voted with them on what they wanted to do and was with them what they wanted to do. But I found myself sometimes wanting to change things just to change them. Big. I'm so serious about not changing and moving left. They wanted to paint this room. I didn't know if I was going to let it happen. They said, well, this room looks old. I said, I'm old. They said, we need to change this up, freshen this up, make it more new. And I'm like, why would you want to do that? You old folks know exactly what I'm talking about. I said, go ahead. I'm so flexible. I'm a second-generation Christian. I struggled in making Christianity mine early on. It was similar to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 42. And, they, and let me read you the verse. And said unto the woman, Now, now the, the people, that the woman that testified to you, Now we believe not because of thy sayings, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. They needed to define their faith themselves. God must make himself real to you, like he made himself real to me. Each generation needs to come to the place where they see Jesus as their Savior. Let me emphasize the word there. Their Savior. The church as their church. The lost souls around them as their mission field. And the responsibility for their salvation is their burden. You get it? You need to take on what is being given to you. I think you folks are sitting in an auditorium. I remember when we, I sweat blood, sweat, and tears and begged God for the money to pay for this. This was the biggest project we'd ever done. We always pay, pretty much pay as we go here at Gospel with no debt because I believe that was the surest footing for any church to have, no matter what the economy did out there, the church is paid for. So we said, I told the men, we're not going to have a plan B. We're going to, let's build the auditorium together. We voted unanimously to do that. And let's pay as we go. If we don't do it, we'll put a basketball hoop down at that end, a basketball hoop down at this end. We'll play basketball in here. But by the grace of God, the only way God had to stop us was stop the money. And that's easy. I used to kneel down beside my bed at home and say, Oh, God, I'm going to be the biggest fool this side of the Pecos if you don't raise the money for this thing. Because I've said that you're big enough to do it. I stuck my neck out. 
oh man, God came through over and over again. He's come through. But Brother Chris never saw any of that. The new guy behind me never going to see have seen that. They didn't get beside their bed and beg God for these chairs, $17,000 worth of blue chairs, which now are probably 50000 He didn't get down beside his bed and beg God for that $50,000 organ, which is now probably 100000 He didn't get down and beg for this, this God to raise up this Steinway piano. It's 100000 new. It costs us 32000 I have a good memory for numbers. Boy, if I remembered the Bible, as good as I remember the numbers, I'd be in good shape. I can remember what everything costs. So you see, the struggle of a new guy coming behind me is going to be, be careful, not in the sake, for the sake of just individualizing this thing and personalizing this thing and defining this thing, that you don't lose and change the things that were good and right and should have passed on generation to generation. Now, Chris has three kids. I don't know, Chris, you feel the way I felt, but I had a little butterflies in my stomach when I raised Troy. I wonder if he's going to accept Christ. I wonder if he's going to be a fundamental Bible-believing independent Baptist. I wonder if he's going to do the right thing. I wonder if he's going to accept the right Bible. I wonder if he's going to believe in soul winning. I wonder if he's going to live for Jesus. I wonder if he's going to stay out of the world. Because my, my whole soul was that he would. Why? Because that's what God did to me. That's what God did to me. Internalize things, yes, but be careful when you change them. Be careful. Small things, go ahead and change. You paint the room. Generation to generation, you change small things. There's nothing wrong with that. But be careful. We are right in our own eyes. We're right in our own way. And oftentimes we'll change things for the simple sake of change. A 30-year-old preacher will replace a 70-year-old preacher. The young guy often immediately begins to overdefine himself and change time-tested working systems. He may throw away the King James Bible or want to. He may throw out the evening services. This is happening all over America. He may throw out the old spiritual songs, music that God has given us through all the, through many hundreds of years. He may throw out the, even the order of service. Some preachers have taken, received the church by trust, and they've painted the ceiling black and the walls black and brought in laser show and fog machines and gotten rid of the organ and gotten rid of the piano and brought in a rock and roll band in the back. And we're not, you see what happened? They overdefined it and personalized it, but away from where God wanted them to. A new guy may throw out the songbooks. He may throw out the suit and tie and dress down for Jesus and wear holes in his blue jeans that we have to spend $200 to get them really holy blue jeans. Brother, we should be dressing up for Jesus. Now, if you can't dress up, you're welcome to come. You come any way you can come. Brother Jared knows that the way his dad comes. We're good with him. 
He wears a suit and a tie and a pair of shorts. I've never seen anybody like that in my life. <laughs> I pray for you, Jared. Being, being raised by a guy like that, I mean, wow. He's a good guy. I'm talking about people that are people that, that, that have a I have a deep respect for the God I worship. Everybody in the Bible that, that confronted an angel or, or a, a, a spiritual being fell on their faces before them and trembled before them. One thing I like about Donald Trump is he wears a suit all the time. I like that. He respects the office he's been given. He's got that going for him. A preacher wants to come in or a person wants to or a kid of a, a child of a mom and dad that are right with God and doing the right thing want to make a unique mark. I understand that. They're right in their own eyes. I understand that. They're right in their own ways. I understand that. Their pride makes them overshoot the mark or lose that which they was, was taking blood, sweat, and tears to build. A biblical example of all this is 1 Kings chapter 12. I bet you wondered when I was going to get to the Bible some more. 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Let me read it real quick. I, uh, Solomon had died. Rehoboam, his son, had take, was there to take his place. Solomon did not end well, as you know. But it, nevertheless, the kingdom was given over to Rehoboam. And so the people of, of Israel came to Rehoboam and they said, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which is upon us, lighter, and we will serve thee. Well, that's, that's fair enough. The people of Israel said to Rehoboam, the new king, Look, take it easy on us. Lighten the taxes some. And he said to him, then depart me for three days and come to me again. The people depart. That was wise. Don't make hasty decisions. Think about it. Pray about it. Verse 6, and King Rehoboam consulted the old man. That was wise. That stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, how do you advise it? I may answer this people. Verse 7, and they spake unto him and said, if thou will be a servant unto this people this day and will serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. That was good advice. But we forsook the counsel of the old men, which, which they had given him and consulted with the young men, his peers, that were grown up with him, which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that answer this people that have spoken unto me? Make the yoke which thy fathers have put unto them lighter. Should I make it lighter or not? And here's what the young guy said. Doesn't this just sound like young guy? And the young men who were grown up with him Spake unto him, saying, Thou shalt speak this unto the people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but, thou, but, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. He wanted to define himself. And now whereas my father did lay upon you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke, and my father has chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. His pride was full blast. You know what to happen, don't you? Ten tribes in the north said, we're out of here. Jeroboam said, hey, I'll be your king. I'll help you. Jeroboam became their king. 
that group of people for 210 years were poisoned by Jeroboam, the sin of Jeroboam. They never got over it. Eventually the Assyrians had to come in by God's own command and assemble them and take them out throughout the nations and disperse them. The only tribes left were the two down in Jerusalem area, Benjamin and Judah. The tree of Boam ruled. Looking at it from outside in, that did not have to happen. I realize it was a judgment. We all have this weakness. We are each egotistical. Let me ask you a question. Are you egotistical? Now, an egotistical person won't say they're egotistical. They'll say they're humble. But humble people will say they're egotistical. So I ask it again. How many egotistical people do we have in here say amen? Amen. We got some humble folks here. (laughs) Try not to blindside you. We have deceptive justification process within us that's next to none. And everybody said, from raising a kid and being around kids and my brothers, we do something wrong. We'd come up with a reason why it was okay to do. I've said it this way. People can commit murder and justify it. You know, he, he yelled at me, so I killed him. Or, or, or he, he, ran over, he ran over my dog, so I shot him. I mean, it's happened. I mean, crazy stuff. People justified in their mind. We are right in our own eyes, and we got this justification process that is next to none. You literally can do almost anything wrong. Eventually, you'll come around and say, that wasn't all that bad. That was probably the right thing to do. Well, the Holy Spirit of God is the only way, and the Word of God is the only way you're going to save yourself from that. Man, you gotta, you got to go to God on that. If, this, if, if we don't approach this subject with great humility, fear, and trembling, we will, ourselves will overdefine to, and make, to make our mark individualistic, we will liberalize and go to the left with what great responsibilities that we've been given And we'll cheat thousands out of the true, timeless gospel. Go ahead and make your mark. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. But in doing it, move not the ancient landmarks which thy forefathers have set. Proverbs 22, 28, and 23, 10. Secondly, in the United States, as I said before, we've already done this. I remember a time when gambling was illegal, and our forefathers gave us that. You, most of you are voters in this room that are over 18. You voted. Our, our forefathers, the World War I, World War II generation, Depression generation that we grew up with, made gambling illegal, straight across the board, everywhere. They handed us that responsibility. They knew gambling was addictive. They knew it was horrific. They knew that poor people would gamble. Rich people don't gamble. They're smarter than that. That's why they got money. Who do you see lined up 30, 40 people to buy a lottery ticket at a 7-Eleven? There ain't any rich people in that line. It preys and steals 
from the poor. It's wicked. I've never bought a lottery ticket. But if I found one on the ground, I'd cash in. If it was a winner, I'd tithe on it. <laughs> I never bought one, though. We legalize homosexual marriages. Our forefathers had made sodomy illegal when I was a child. Our forefathers gave us the United States, everywhere in the United States, all 50 states, checkmate. Sodomy, homosexuality, was a crime. What has made it better? This process of overdefining and individualizing to the left, to the left. We have uh, legalized abortion, 1973. I grew up in a place where abortion everywhere in the United States was illegal. It was murder. Women are given the most holy, sacred responsibility of, of carrying a child for nine months in them. And whose child is it? It's not their child. It is two people's child. 23 chromosomes came from the man. Yet they act like the men had nothing to do with it. Half of that child's mine. We had Troy and went to a doctor, and she and he said, she, we were young, 18, 19 years old, and they said to Kathy, the guy said to Kathy, you're pregnant. It was inconvenient. Let me tell you what, inconvenient. I was about ready to have a child like I was ready to get shot in the head. And the guy said, you know, you don't have to have the child because it took me out of college and it made me work. and sweat, and he said, you know, you can abort the child. That's just not legal. That was in 1970. That's just not legal. He said, yeah, but you can go to Canada, you can go to England, you can go get aborted somewhere else. I said, that is my child. How dare I kill it? It's not the child's fault. The Kathy got pregnant. I had something to do with it. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I take all the blame. I think she knew better. We in the United States are beginning to limit the Second Amendment. Man, the worst thing, one of the worst things you're going to do is if you voters vote to limit the Second Amendment, it, our, our right to bear arms, shall not be infringed. Don't you infringe it at all. I don't have an AR-15 for hunting. I have an AR-15 for what happened on October 7th. And I advise you to get one. I don't have thousands of rounds of ammo to go hunting. I have thousands of rounds of ammunition to avoid the government from taking over written in our Constitution. Boy, you see it? See how it's happened? They're perverting free speech, calling it hate speech. How am, how, how am I going to be put in jail if I ever get put in jail? The first time that they make a law, the preaching against one of these things is, is, uh, is hate speech, 
I'm going to be in jail the next week. You see what's happened? Generation to generation. The World War II boys knew better than this. The Depression people knew better than this. The, the First World War people, they knew better than this. We're not getting smarter as we mutate. And it's the same thing goes with the Church of Jesus Christ. What's happening today across the country is, a, is a, you're visualizing and witnessing an apostasy of the local church as it's handed over to the younger guys. And they define themselves. May God save us. And he can save us. And by the grace of God, he will save us. If you will understand this and go to him in humility and trembling and fear of the word of God and say, before you change something that you just so cavalierly have received for free, don't do it. Beware and be careful. Our Heavenly Father, thank you today for the word of God. Help us to see this mechanism that no nation has resisted. The Roman Empire fell because of this mechanism. The Assyrian Empire fell because of this mechanism. The Babylonians fell because of this mechanism. There have been no nation that's been raised up and has not fallen eventually because of this mechanism. It's amazing. God save us. As a Christian nation, based upon the Bible, and the principles of Judeo-Christian law. May you preserve America. May you preserve the people who believe the Bible, called by various names, but the people who believe and internalize the Bible as the very words of God, every word, every jot, every tittle, every word that you ever spoke, and every word has been penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, save us. Forgive us where we've moved, even unintentionally, where we've moved to the left. Help us to stay where you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida, also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.